I've asked Marcel to uh, come and share the, the scripture for today, so he'll be doing our reading. Marcel? All right, good morning, New Life. All right, so I'll be uh, sharing the scripture with you uh, this morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is, is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. <clears throat> You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You are come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, uh, speaks better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who speaks? speaks. If we turn, I'm sorry, um, let me start that again. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they do not, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them, uh, warned them from earth, how much will Less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. Sorry, the words, once more, indicate the the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of God. Thank you, brother. Gave you a little bit of a tongue twister there, didn't I? Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight of God, my rock and my refuge, because I set you ever before me. Lord, it has to be your words. It has to be what you want to say to this congregation um, and not what I want to say. So fill me now with your spirit, I pray, for your mercy. is all. I know your mercy is with me. Fill this place with your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, mountains were a very significant thing um, in, uh, throughout the Bible. Mountains were closer to God in the ancient Near Eastern mind um, because they believed that he dwelled in the heavens, that is the sky. So the mountains made, uh, you got closer to God as you went up the mountain. So as a result of all this in the Bible, God often reveals himself on mountaintops. 
So today we have a tale of two mountains. The outline, as you see it, is we're going to talk about both mountains, what they represent, the choice, which mountain is better, the power needed to live on that mountain, and the result of a life lived on the better mountain. So we're going to talk about the mountains, the choice, the power, and the result. The book of Hebrews is written to urban Christians who are beat up by life and they are suffering. They are asking the obvious question that anyone asks when they face suffering. If God loves us, then why is my life so difficult? As you read through the whole book of Hebrews, what becomes obvious is that these Christians are tempted to turn away. In their pain, they are tempted to look elsewhere besides their relationship with God for their life. So the author of Hebrews, seeing this tendency of theirs to go elsewhere, writes a sermon to call them back to their commitment to Christ. So from now on in this sermon, I'll be talking about the author of the sermon of Hebrews as just simply the preacher. It'll make things a little easier. His argument is clear. Christ is better than anything you can try to find to heal your, your pain in your life. So here are a couple examples from the book of Hebrews. Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the high priest in the temple. Christ is better than the Old Testament sacrifices. Most scholars think that the original congregation hearing this sermon were uh, Jewish Christians. That makes a lot of sense based on where their hearts wanted to go uh, when when they faced persecution and they dealt with their own pain. They desired to go back to the old leader of the old covenant, Moses. In their pain, they wanted the old institutions, the temple, the high priest, the sacrifices. They wanted their old messengers, the angels. In the midst of their suffering, they wanted their old life back. It wasn't a better life, but it was a life that they understood in the midst of their suffering. The preacher of Hebrews, in a sermon to these Christians will keep calling them back to Christ, who is far superior to anything on earth, anything superior to the old covenant, the old relationship that the Jews had with the Lord. And as we listen to this part, just a small part of the sermon of Hebrews, my hope is that you will hear God calling you back to your commitment to Christ as you face the hardships of your life. So let's talk about the mountain. First, the Hebrew writers talks about this, about us coming, not coming, or approaching an unnamed mountain. It's one of fire, darkness, storm, and terror. The listeners would have immediately identified this mountain with Mount Sinai, where the Israelites gathered and Moses went up to the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. You can read it in Deuteronomy 4, Exodus 19. This re- This mountain represents the old covenant. It represents the old relationship that the Jews had with God. And how does the author, the preacher of Hebrews, talk about this old relationship? What pictures does he use? Well, fire. It's dangerous. Darkness. God is hidden. Storm. Unpredictable and threatening. Lightning and thunder. We got a pretty good example of this on Tuesday, did we not? 
I had already arrived, and I was at VBS, and I was looking at, a number of us were looking out the door. The rain was literally going sideways. I felt safe, but it was impressive. And then you go and see all the trees torn from their roots. It's just the power of that storm was simply amazing. can't even imagine what it would be like to be out in it. That's a picture of the old relationship. God is so terrifying a presence that even Moses, the mighty leader of Israel, was afraid. And the Israelites refused to hear the words of God because they were terrified. His voice was simply too powerful for them to take in. God is so holy that nothing could touch the mountain, not even, a, not even an animal, or it had to be put to death. This relationship is one of darkness and gloom because it's based on what we do, or more accurately, what we do not do to please God. It is based on us perfectly keeping the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's law. So fortunately, the preacher says, we haven't come to that now. He tells the Hebrew Christians and to us, you have not approached this mountain. We have come to the second mountain. And unlike the first mountain, he says the name. It is Mount Zion. The original Mount Zion was the place of the tabernacle. It was God's tent, his dwelling place on earth. Mount Zion later became encompassed Mount Tabor and all of the city of Jerusalem where the, where the uh, temple was built. It was a representative of God's throne on earth. This mountain represents the new covenant, the new relationship that Christians have with God. So what does the preacher say about this relationship? How does he describe it? Well, it's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Literally, thousands of angels in festival gathering. In the ancient world, the Greeks and Romans had festival gatherings. They were sporting events. So, think the Olympics. Where thousands of people came from all over the empire to cheer on their athletes. Here, the angels are pictured as cheering on Christians. The beginning of this chapter in Hebrew says, And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Christians who have died and are now in heaven receiving their inheritance as firstborn children. And finally, this mountain is the place where Jesus is. The one who dies and sprinkles his blood so that we can be with our Father in heaven. This is a new relationship of light and joy because it is based on what Jesus does for us. So we have a choice. Seems like a pretty obvious choice to me. Where do you want to live? We all want to live on Mount Zion, don't we? If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're not in a relationship with him. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, what the Bible says, what God's word says about you, is that you're, you live on Mount Sinai. In the quiet moments when you're all alone, you may sense darkness and gloom. God seems hidden from you. 
And since you live in the United States of America, like the rest of us, you probably have tried to do what most Americans do. You say to yourself, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not a murderer. I don't steal. I, I don't commit adultery. And I hope that's enough to get me to heaven. Well, if, if those are your thoughts, and I can be honest with you, many of us have had these thoughts in our lives, I have really, really good news for you today. Here's the good news. Your good works are not enough to get you to heaven and to God. Even your best works are like filthy rags before the Lord. And you say to, you say to me, well, how can that be good news? The good news is there's another mountain. There's another place where God dwells. And the fantastic news is you don't have to do anything to get it. Jesus does the work for you. And you simply have to invite him into your heart and be in relationship with this God, with this king named Jesus. You get this by asking him into your heart. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There are two ways to fulfill a law. You obey it perfectly, or you pay the penalty if you disobey. For example, simple example, a stop sign. You either obey the law by stopping at each sign in the city, which if you're like me can be slightly annoying. <laughs> you either stop at every sign in the, in the stop sign in the city, or you pay the fine if you don't. Either way, you fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law of God in both of those ways. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and he paid the penalty, not for his disobedience, but for ours. Make this the day that you invite that Jesus into your heart, into your life. Be in a new relationship with that Jesus. Make this the day, the very first day that you step onto Mount Zion with those thousands upon thousands of angels. For us, for those of us who already know Jesus, you know, we have to make a choice too. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. How do we, as Christians, those who have this relationship with Christ, how do we refuse God? Paul in the book of Galatians says it, I think, pretty well. He says, after the beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Or in the terms of the books, uh, the Sermon of Hebrews, if Jesus Christ gave you Mount Zion, a relationship with God full of joy based on what he did for you, then why in the world would you refuse that and try to live on Mount Sinai? A place of weak human effort, a place of darkness and gloom. But we, we go back. Why do we go back? Unfortunately, I think we all know the answer. We still struggle with pride, this nagging tendency that's in us to want to do things on our own. We accept Jesus. We, do, we accept him in the beginning of our relationship because we know we can't do it. But then we want to go back and do things our way. It's the basic struggle of all Scripture. This, te this uh, tendency typically happens when life gets hard for us and we face suffering. 
we are like the Hebrew Christians. Life in our city gets difficult, and things don't go the way that we think they should. And at that point, we're tempted like the, the Christians in, in the book of Hebrews to say, if God really loves me, then why in the world is my life such a mess? Why is it so difficult all the time? Especially in the city. A person cuts us off. We get angry. It just, it just is right there for us. The preacher says, life is hard and you're suffering because God is disciplining you. He is treating you exactly like one of his children. Like his son and his daughter. Remember, you're an Olympic athlete. You're a runner running the good race. And saints and angels are cheering you on so that you make it to the end of the race. And that is only going to happen if God brings challenges into your life. It's like weightlifting. You, you cannot grow your muscles unless you keep adding weight upon weight. You get used to it, you add more weight. You get used to it, you add more weight. And what happens? Your muscles strengthen. It's the same way with our walk with Christ. It's the same way with his run of our life. Suffering is the spiritual equivalent of God adding more weight to your spiritual workout. But it's painful, and we don't like pain. And if the pain gets too great, we start looking to other things beside God to ease that pain. And the Bible calls them simply idols, little gods who are no gods at all. So what are your little gods? What are the things that you turn to in your moments of pain and grief and suffering? Along with the preacher, I want to warn you and me that God is a mighty earthquake. There will come a time when God will shake the heavens and the earth looking for what is eternal. The things in your life that will endure to the end. And the only things that will remain are the things that you do by the power of God. Everything you do in service to your idols will simply fall away. The preacher ends chapter 12 with one more challenge in verses 28 and 29. I'm reading from the translation, the message. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent to our God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleansing house, torching all that needs to be burned, and he will not quit until everything is cleansed. God himself is fire. Where does the power come from to live on the mountain, to live on Mount Zion? The, the preacher moves from using the picture of a mountain to that of a kingdom. The unshakable kingdom of God bought at the price of the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ, the mediator of our new relationship. He is the power by which we inherit this unshakable kingdom. The power comes from his death on the cross. In Matthew 27, he describes Jesus' death like this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
Does that language sound familiar? Darkness, earth shaking, loud voices. It is the terror of Mount Sinai, the judgment of God. Psalm 114 says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Psalm 68, The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain at the presence of God. God, the judge of all, showed up on earth, and earth could barely take his presence. The earth quaked, and it began to rain. God, the judge, came down, he poured all of his wrath, all of his hatred of sin upon his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus chose to go to the cross for your sin, for my sin, our inability to obey God's law. By obeying the law perfectly, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. And now he is on the cross. And God's holy vengeance is being poured out upon him. Jesus endures the darkness of Mount Sinai. Before the cross, he only knew perfect intimacy and fellowship with the Father. Now the Father is hidden from him in total darkness. Jesus, in order to bring an unshakable kingdom to us, is being shaken to the point where there is nothing left of him. In order that we may know eternity, all eternity is shaken from him. In order that we may hear the cheers of angels in heaven, Jesus must endure the jeers and the insults of all of his enemies surrounding him on the cross. In order that we may place our feet onto Mount Zion, Jesus had to die like an animal by touching the mountain of God's judgment. And the one I think that unnerves me the most as I think about it, in order that we may appear before God and see our loving Abba Father looking back at us with pride and joy, Jesus had to experience the terror of Moses by looking into the eyes of his heavenly father and seeing only displeasure and disgust. It was a sight so terrifying to Jesus that he trembled with fear, dying the death that we were meant to die. So the result, the result of living on a better mountain, can you see how thankful we must be? The result of living a life on Zion, we are thankful to God and to Jesus for what he did. But not only thankful, we are brimming with worship for God that would sacrifice his only son in this kind of way. We must come every Sunday morning in utter awe and reverence to our Lord Jesus Christ who is willing to endure this type of punishment the result in us must be a stunned gratitude. So here's a really challenging question for all of us. How do we come into the presence of God every Sunday? Today was a great day, full of joy, full of worship. VBS, children, singing to the Lord. It was, it, last week, the same thing. Just God was with us, and we were brimming with worship. Is that the way we come every Sunday? 
it, it's really important that we answer this with all honesty, all integrity. When the clock strikes 10.50, do we, at New Life, hurry as fast as we can to come up here into the sanctuary, into the presence of the living God? We should be fighting over one another to get up here. Or do we linger downstairs? Do we enter the sanctuary with reverence and all like we did today? Or do we casually make our way in? Chatting all the way and even when the worship leader has already begun the songs. I know the answer. I know it for me and I know it for you. Because I, I see myself sometimes and I see you. We at New Life oftentimes are weighed down and exhausted with the cares of this world. That we have stepped foot in that moment on the wrong mountain. We have become casual sometimes about the gospel. Somewhere along the line we have shifted from the joy of Mount Zion to the gloom of Mount Mount Sinai. And for the most part, It seems that we have lost the joy of our heavenly Jerusalem. It's so glad, I was so glad in my heart today to see that it's not not completely gone. It's there. Not every week, but a lot of weeks we have it. But we, we have to really examine our hearts for those moments when we linger at the wrong mountain. This will probably be the last time I tell you this. I... I said it to the men's retreat. I said it in the leadership class. And now I'm saying it to the whole congregation. It it may be the last time I ever say it. We have to be honest. And here's the hard part. If we linger into the presence of God, not brimming with worship for what he did on the cross and the power of his resurrection, then we should not be surprised if our numbers are dropping our budget is shrinking. There is just no power in that way of life. God will not reward us if we continue to be at the wrong mountain. But fortunately, that's not the story for us at New Life. The good news is our God is a consuming fire. He is cleaning house, torching everything that needs to be burned. And he will not quit until everything is cleansed. Because of his great mercy given to us by Jesus' death on the cross and his powerful resurrection, God is committed to getting us where we need to be. He is committed to destroying our idols and creating in us a pure heart. The fire that once would destroy us now will purify us. So I have great confidence in the power of Christ in you and me. Our destiny is Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Amen? I have great confidence in this. We're going, our destiny is thousands upon thousands of angels in festival gathering. And my question is, why wait until then to enjoy it? Open your eyes in faith and see the thousands of angels around you, even in this moment of worship and the preaching of God's word. These angels are cheering us on. The saints, the righteous ones made perfect through the blood of Christ are cheering us on. They know what is at stake. 
And they, they just find it beautiful to watch the race that we are running. This is the race that the Lord Jesus Christ has laid out for us. He is our true champion, our Lord, our Savior, our friend. So let's start now by worshiping our God with reverence and awe. Every single week. The only way that we're going to do this, I said this to the men at the retreat, the only way that we can do this is if we think about this the night before. We have to think about our worship on Saturday night. Because everybody knows what happens Sunday morning. The kids start fighting, or I get in an argument with my wife, and everything goes downhill. If you wait until that moment, it's lost. You're going to linger at the wrong mountain. So let's think about Mount Zion on Saturday night and rush right into this worship, into this sanctuary, with the proper praise due to our Lord and King, our Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, what can we say to all of these things? That you would die, that kind of death for us is just simply stunning. And we barely know what to say, so we ask that you would fill us to the fullest measure of your spirit that we may be brimming with worship towards you our God and our Savior. I pray that you would do it even now. I thank you for the worship and joy, the worship and truth that we have already had today. And I pray that we would finish well as we put the work that you have done on the cross right in front of our eyes. I pray this only for your glory. In Jesus' name. Wow, that's great news. We have good news to celebrate that our God calls us friend. And as we sing this song in worship, I pray that's our choice moment by moment that we're choosing to abide at the Mount Zion where his presence is with fullness of glory and great joy. Let's stand together and celebrate our friendship with God. Amen.